What's up, Gumbo listeners? Demetrius here, dropping episode number 107 for you today. And I have Noemi Gracedorf, data protection and marketing expert on. And Noemi is highly skilled in solution messaging and positioning, product marketing, and lead generation initiatives. Noemi also held senior roles in marketing partner development and consulting at numerous data protection companies. And Naomi also spent four years as a research manager at IDC, focusing on go-to-market strategies for emerging storage technologies and business models. So Gumbo listeners, Noemi discusses how to contain the expanding cost of data protection, some ways you can mitigate data protection costs, and the role networking plays in data protection architecture and design. And now a word from our sponsors. Verified Backups has a patent-pending process to create encrypted cloud backups of your databases and then restore and verify every backup seven days a week. You deserve to know your backups are working. Please visit verifiedbackups.com for more details. Noemi, welcome to Data Protection Gumbo. How are you today? I'm well. How are you, Demetrius? I am fantastic. Just wanted to at least take a brief moment out of your day and see if we can actually add some value to uh, the industry and the market as to what's going on uh, in your neck of the woods. And right now you are at Vicinity. Is that correct? Yes. Joined here recently. Okay. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what Vicinity is and, and what do you guys specialize in? Sure. So Vicinity was formed in 2018, which is, you know, two, three years ago. What we do is quite unique. Um, From a business perspective, we enable applications to process data at the point of creation. In other words, if your data is created um, on the East Coast, but your application um, is running on the West Coast, you no longer have to move or migrate the data from East Coast to West Coast before you can start processing it, analyzing it, or anything like that. So we enable applications to directly you know, access and, and process data in place. Okay. How do we do this? That's the secret sauce. Mm. So, so you do it in place, and the importance behind doing it in place, is that more a performance thing, or what, what, what's the, like the true, true sense of why that is, is the case? So there's a couple of different uh, reasons why that is important. So on one hand, if you think about if the amount of data we're creating is way more than we have in the past, right? So right. Uh, back in 2000s, our disk drives were 18, um, 18, what were they? 18 gigabyte drives, and then they were 36 gigabyte drives, and you know they kept sort of scaling up. I remember the first time you came out with a one terabyte drive, it was like, oh my god, one terabyte. Um, yeah. You know now, you know six petabytes is nothing. Right? Ten petabytes. People are talking about hundreds of petabytes and exabytes. So as more data is created, um, moving data over long distances. Um, is still very problematic because the longer, you know, the further you have to travel, the more latency you have. And TCP was really not designed for WAN uh, traffic. And we've tried to optimize it as best we can, but, you know, we've seen some improvements. But fundamentally, if you have a lot of data and you have to migrate, there's a lot of time that it's going to take to do so. So there is that mm-hmm. data lag, uh, the time lag that, um, or as I call it, you know, not fulfilling your access time objective. You know, we talk about, you know, recovery time objective, recovery point objective. Well, there's access time objective, which is, you know, when do I actually really need to access the data? And the sooner, the better time is money. Um, 
so by eliminating the need to migrate the data, you're actually accelerating time to value, time to analytics, time to the information that is driving our economy. So that's one use case. Okay. The mm -hmm. second one is that the location of where we're actually just, you know, creating data is, is in multiple locations. And there's a lot of new innovation around compute. Um, sometimes we want just for the next month or a week or a few hours, some compute resources, or in case of disaster recovery, you know, I don't need to have all this infrastructure running all the time in order that if something happens, I can, you know, bring my applications up and running. I want to do it in the cloud. I want to take advantage of the compute that is best suitable for that moment in time, whether it's public cloud or it's in a co-location at a different location. I want to take advantage of those compute resources. Well, in order to do that, again, if data is being created in multiple different dispersed locations, you have to move it. And we get into that first use case where significant amount of delay. So this allows you now to deploy and to run your compute and whatever the compute resource is, wherever you need it or wherever it's most you know, applicable to your situation mm -hmm. against the data without having to first move it. Okay, so access time objective, that is what you said, right? It is. It, is, is that what you, you, did you coin that phrase, access time objective? I've never heard of it before. I did, I did. Okay, you're going to have to get a patent on it now, Noemi. I know. Because it's, it, know. it's out there. It. <laughs> but I, I, I like that phrase because access time objective, to me, I view that as, you know, how often are you going to access that data? And the more frequently you access that data, the more the costs might go up. Because you, if you tie that into recovery time objective and recovery point objective and how those two work, let's say those were like a, a balancing beam then the cost actually shifts as as you you know more frequently back up that data and you protect that data but the more you access that data it's actually expensive right is, is right, cause you have to yeah. restore it first that that and, is correct and then you get into the same conversation of okay how long is it going to take me to bring it back to where mm -hmm. i need it to be and i know in a lot of scenarios you know folks are still trying to figure out how to leverage and still do their backups for disaster recovery. Well, yeah. if you're, you know, and, and they're looking at cloud as a place to, you know, put your data in, but how do you, you know, how do you optimize that? How do you bring back key applications and consume that data? Because you, you know, recovery time objective for data is how quickly you can restore the data. So you know, yeah. It could be hours or days, depending on you're restoring it from, you know, far away or you're restoring it from tape and, you know, you have a terabyte versus 100 terabytes. But the other component of it that we don't often talk about is, well, how quickly can I actually start using the data? Mm, okay. And so the access point objective really also talks about how quickly that data is made available to me to consume by my applications and my okay. users. All right. And so I brought up cost a little bit. So and, and how that pertains to data protection, because we used to operate in a more traditional fashion where cost was kind of one thing. You had a budget and you purchased a set of infrastructure, you know, every two or three years. It was a refresh mm -hmm. cycle. And we didn't really worry about sending the data off site to like the cloud because we sent it via tape. 
And that was all like fixed costs. We knew exactly how much right. we were going to, you know, the, the um, Iron Mountain guy came, you know, every day and he picked the tapes up. So that was a set cost. But how do we contain the expanding cost of data protection as we create duplicates, not only backup copies, but of the primary copies as a way to bring data protection or data closer to compute? No, Amy. So I think that we definitely, so vicinity definitely has a value add proposition in this scenario. So there's a few areas where I think we, um, we can add value or, you know, really address the challenge of uh, cost. I remember, you know, over time, if you've, uh, you know, if you've worked in the data protection or backup um, marketplace for a long time, you realize that the cost of, of backups and restores tend to be I don't know, five times the cost of your primary storage. People don't think about it, but in reality, you know, your backups are way more expensive than your um, your actual uh, infrastructure, your primary infrastructure. So what we're able to do is because what we're doing is we're re we're eliminating the effects of latency um, over uh, over distance. So we're not eliminating latency itself. We're uh, eliminating the effects after the first byte. And that's where a special sauce. So a couple of things as a result you can do. One, of course, is you, you don't have to have a local copy anymore. So if you have a local copy today because you need to restore it quickly, and then you replicate that copy to another location for what we refer to as, you know, off-site copy, disaster recovery, now you can actually back up directly to the remote copy. And because of our technology, you can also access and restore it as though it was local. So now you can theoretically eliminate the local copy and that could be a significant cost. The second thing is if you are replicating your primary storage system to another site, which a lot of folks do, right, for disaster recovery as well, which is fine. One of the things, though, that is still lacking in many cases, well, how do you bring the application back up? So, you know, the old SunGuard model of, you know, you pay a certain fee and then if something happens, they have a bunch of servers laying around that they can, you know, allocate to you or bring to you. Or now it's, you know, you know maybe part of a VMware uh, cloud cluster in a colocation facility or managed hosting facility. You can set it up where at the time of your disaster, wherever that replica exists, you can deploy your compute where it makes sense, wherever it's available, you know, however you set it up, point it to the data and start running it. So there's a simplicity in it and sort of a, um, a cost reduction associated with reducing the number of copies you have to create, um, both from, you know, data protection perspective, but also from DR perspective. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So if, if you're running your application in the cloud, then... It also requires you to, you know, that data to be in the cloud along with it, just just for a yeah. uh, resiliency perspective. Well, not from resiliency, but proximity. from, yeah, proximity, proximity yeah. and performance, right? So yeah. now it's, you know, it's important. The shared responsibility model is that the customer is responsible for their data and making sure that that data is actually protect, protected, making sure that it's resilient. Um, you know, it's using that apartment building phrase that, hey, the, the cloud is, you know, the public cloud is responsible for the, the actual building and things on the outside, like the elevator or whatever, but you're responsible for your own apartment and the furniture that's inside of it. 
So let's say if we back up on premises and knowing that if you need that data back, you are going to incur the, the egress charges, right? The cost of pulling that data back. So what are some of the ways that the gumbo listeners can maybe mitigate some of those data protection costs? Okay, so the traditional way, if you have the data in the cloud and now you want to restore the data, you got to pull all the data out, right? And you're going to restore it to some array or some volume where you can now have access to it and start using it. If you have data in the cloud and you want to start using applications directly against that data, right, in that cloud, um, what people don't think oftentimes is that the service, the, the, the storage service in the cloud is based on regions. So it's a different cost if you are in one region versus if it's replicated, let's say, to a secondary region. And whether it's in S3 or whether it's in, you know, EBS um, storage. Now, to run your application, unless it can run directly off of S3, has to be an EBS. In other words, you still have to do the migration from, you know, from S3 into EBS. And if something is going to affect that data center, um, that whole data center, and you don't have a copy in another data center, then that can be a challenge. So what we offer is that the way we run against applications is that we don't require the whole data set to be moved. Right. As the application starts running, um, we only move the individual blocks that are required by the application at the point in time. So the amount of data um, that actually goes through egress is significantly less overall okay. than if you had to restore the whole. That, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. And we, we haven't quite touched on, I think you mentioned it a little bit earlier, was like the performance aspect of it, but what, what role does, you know, networking play? Because you, you really don't hear about networking a lot anymore because, you know, oh, we're in the cloud now and <laughs> it's cloud native and we're protected and we can get the data back, et cetera. But it used to be nuts and bolts around, you know, setting up a very solid networking, having a certain amount of bandwidth, et cetera. And those are conversations that we used to have a lot. So what, what role does networking play in, in today's uh, data protection architecture from your, from your perspective? It plays a big role. Um, I think people, to your point, I think people start thinking, oh, I have, you know, 10 gigabit uh, bandwidth available to me. Like I can move as much data as I want. And if you're on a local uh, network, TCP, yeah, you can, you, you know, you can move a lot of data. That's a big uh, pipe. When you start... Uh, increasing latency, and this is the part, I mean, like, you know, we've improved uh, the performance of everything. You know, we adopt use, we have faster CPUs, we have faster disk drives, we have faster tape drives, we have everything faster, we have bigger bandwidth. But what we haven't addressed, the one thing we haven't addressed, and there's a reason for it, is latency, because um, latency is really defined by physics. You can't, you know, okay. there's no wormholes that I know of that exist in, in, in our mm -hmm. <laughs> world yet. <laughs> so the the effects of latency, the TCP protocol is really not designed for a WAN. So when you get over long distances and the latency increases, there's significant drop in terms of throughput against the available bandwidth. So if you get to 50, 60 millisecond latency, which is not unusual between, let's say, you know, uh, California and, and D.C., for example, right, then you're going to start seeing 
throughput rates drop to 10 and even less than 10% of available bandwidth on a TCP connection over WAN. So what Vicinity has done is said, okay, we're not going to do TCP. We're going to go to layer three, and we're going to uh, create our own platform. We call it Vicinity Data Access Platform. And there's a lot of intellectual property, all the development that we have done um, around it. But we basically take, you know, let's say RDMA, which was really designed as a low latency protocol within the data center. We wrap all of our intellectual property around it give it an IP address, and now it can traverse, um, you know, IP network, and it can go across, you know, 5G, it can go across microwave, it can go across, okay. um, you know, mm-hmm. however you want to do it, whatever. And the intellectual property that we wrap around the RDMA is what enables us to eliminate iterative latency. In other words, as the latency increases, right, we're able to continue uh, to see uh, utilization of bandwidth or throughput rates of upwards to 95%. So it doesn't drop as the latency increases. So, and it doesn't matter if you're pushing a lot of data or you're just, you know, the application is is requesting and interacting with the data it needs, um, you know, to run its whatever it is is running. Okay. The point is, is that. That's mm-hmm. what enables us to allow the application to run against data over high latency network and feel like it's a local LAN. So it is a big issue because, um, you know, some people say, oh, I'll just create multiple flows at the same time, just going to stuff the network. Yeah, I'm sure you've heard this. And mm-hmm. yeah, the challenge is that the latency is going to still have the same effect on each individual flow as it traverses the network. And it's still going to take the same amount of time to get the whole data set in that flow to the other end, regardless if you have many or 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 one. Mm-hmm. Now that that acronym RDMA, can you you break that down for us? Or yeah, it's a it's a, it's a uh, I think what most folks have heard of um, probably is InfiniBand. Oh, okay. Uh, okay, so it's a low latency um, within the data center protocol that's. Predominantly has been used in HPC environments, so it's not as common. Um, but there is, um, you know, RDMA is the core, you know, to simplify things. Of course, it's oversimplification. So I, I guess that that brings brings me to the next point of like data at the edge. Uh, I I am increasingly hearing you know people talk about you know data data at the edge is moving to the edge. How do we protect it? You know, what what are some of the key challenges? associated with data protection and disaster recovery with data at the edge? I think it's not any different from any data anywhere, um, except that your connectivity at the edge may not be as robust. Uh, You might not have as many resources at the edge. You know, uh, what is the edge? In other words, you know, if, if it's just another office in a metropolitan city somewhere, that has access to high bandwidth, you know, uh, awesome technology, awesome networking technology. Okay, that's one thing. But if your edge is in the middle of nowhere and you're going to have to rely on 5G or you have to rely on satellite, which we also work with, then, um, or you only have, you know, a small pipe available to you, then it really becomes much more challenging because, again, 
the amount of data getting created wherever it is is increasing right we went from you know a, a few megabytes before was like oh my god that's so much to tr you know to uh, to transfer to you know a 3d image can can be a few gigabytes and uh and you know up and up and up so the um so the ability to really optimize throughput uh, is really critical to being able to move data um, you know, to create a copy and move it from a disaster recovery business continuity sort of data protection perspective to another location and to do it within your RPO, RTO uh, okay. time frame. Like what, what are some of the craziest uh, use cases that you've seen? Like I know there are companies out there, let's say an, an oil and gas company, and they're drilling for oil out in the middle of the ocean yeah. somewhere right by Mauritius, which is one of the places I want to retire to. <laughs> and they they don't have a very strong connection or a very you know fast connection. Like, do you have any use cases or things that you've seen yeah. or stories around that? Yeah. So uh, we have done a lot of work with government, uh, federal government, and you know, so they have let's just say moving entities uh, that collect data, uh, and a lot of the connections um, are satellite connections. And um, satellite connections, you know, are, you know, 500 millisecond latency. I mean, these are really, really um, tight. So, uh, so what we have been able to demonstrate is um, on a, you know, let's say a 500 millisecond latency connection, um, we can still transport or, you know, migrate data from one location to another location at 90 to 95% throughput. Mm, okay. Uh, sustained throughput of available bandwidth. Typically, you would get you know less than ten percent probably. Mm, okay. Now, now, have you been following Elon Musk and he's sending satellites up into the atmosphere to increase the? I think there was a statement around making the world like ninety percent internet capable, like yeah. having Wi-Fi no matter where you are. Yeah. You could be in the rainforest. Yeah. And you have Wi-Fi. Like, what, what do you think about that? Have Have you heard about that? I haven't, but I think that uh, you know, satellite is definitely um, a way to get internet access to some remote places because otherwise, mm -hmm. you know, Wi-Fi definitely has limitations. You know, you go to a Wi-Fi, then it has to go to terrestrial, you know, network, something that goes in the ground, um, in actual cable. So, um, satellite will definitely um, bring connectivity to some of the more remote places. The challenge still is going to be latency. I mean, you know, you got to go up, you got to come down. Um, and uh, I think that our technology is well positioned to, um, to make that experience more like a localized experience rather than, you know, really um, experiencing the latency of, of, a, of a satellite connection. Yeah, it, it sounds like latency is key. So I will definitely make sure I have that in the title. <laughs> something something jazzy around latency and data protection. I, I hadn't quite thought about it yet. So I, I'll work on that. But just looping things back to the cloud, uh -huh. which is everyone's favorite topic. Of course. So how do... How do, I guess, current approaches around data protection create challenges for the cloud in your, from your perspective? Well, 
the in order to use compute in the cloud, in order to deploy your applications, and assuming that you have a conversion methodology of, you know, from one to the other, or let's say you go to the uh, VMware cloud or KVM cloud, and so, you know, let's just assume that that's, you know, set aside. Um, you still have to have the data near the compute in order to be able to operate the applications, right? So um, I think it's the same thing. If you move your data into the cloud as your secondary copy, you want to move it into the least costly storage tier, which we're talking about the blobs, you know, the near lines, the S3s, the glaciers, something that is going to be um, sort of like your insurance policy thing. The reality, though, is that in order for you to take advantage of that, you have to move it into something that the application can consume. And that, you know, obviously uh, takes time and there's costs associated with it. I think a lot of folks want to be able to, you know, replicate their data, let's say, if they have a secondary site or a colocation facility, because it's going to be less expensive to replicate between the two but still use the compute in the cloud in order to take advantage uh, you know, of that real time, just spin up your compute and start sort of working. Um, so we would enable somebody to be able to achieve that by bridging um, the compute in the cloud to the data on premises and for those applications to be able to consume the data without actually having to move it. And we are, getting really close to the the final gumbo question and it, I, I can't do an episode without mentioning security which is top of mind for everyone due to yeah. the pandemic increasing you know ransomware events and things are just getting a lot you know crazier in the world overall not to mention that we're being driven you know into this digital ready player one which is i just watched it again last night it's one of my favorite movies yeah you have to add it to the list okay. ready player one i'll do that it takes place in 2045 and it shows you how we have depleted the resources of earth as we always do uh -huh. and everybody went into the AI augmented reality world, the virtual world. And that was the real world where people logged on and they actually worked, worked in the, in the AI virtual world. And that's how they made their money. And sometimes they got lost there, but <laughs> I, I digress once again, but bringing it back to security, yeah. what, what are your thoughts on security and particularly data in the cloud? And I know there was a conversation around Oh, if it's in the cloud and it's not as secure as being on premises, do you have a viewpoint behind that? I, so in general, every time you have to move data, um, you know, whether it's physically or, um, you know, over the network replication, you are exposing yourself to some security um, risk. Uh, every time you create multiple copies of data in different locations, you're exposing yourself to potential um, unnecessary uh, risks. Because, you know, it's safer to keep one copy than to maintain all the security parameters across multiple sites and multiple copies. Um, so from that perspective, if you can minimize the copies of data that you have and yet make them available for everyone who needs them, um, I think that is more secure than creating and moving copies all over the place. So 
and and the um on the sort of the movement side um vicinity has um with FIPS compliant so we have um Simon encryption we also have AS256 encryption and um we can encrypt at the uh, packet level so we have some really sophisticated um security capabilities in terms of data uh, traversing the network. So uh, we're probably one of the most secure uh, ways to do that. And in some cases, you might be able to even use the just the encryption capabilities um, without the, the transport. Um, in the cloud, as in anything else, if you are deploying infrastructure as a service in the cloud, so you're consuming compute and storage resources, Right, it's not the cloud service provider's responsibility to ensure that the data that you're storing or the applications that you're running right. are secure. It is still mm -hmm. your responsibility to do that, and people don't think right. about that. So okay, and also th this has been great. I have you know truly I hadn't had a conversation about latency and performance and speed and you know all of this in in quite some time. So I, I appreciate your perspective on that. Uh, also, do you mind sharing maybe a way that Gumbo listeners can possibly maybe follow you on Twitter or LinkedIn or social media somewhere? Yeah, of course. So uh, we are um, Vicinity on, Link on Twitter and Vicinity Inc. on LinkedIn. And there's some great resources there. Uh, we have some videos, short videos on how, you know, how Vicinity works, um, some use cases, um, so definitely visit us. You can also find um, some additional resources on vicinity.io. Uh, and I'm continuously adding information um, and uh, you know, content for folks to learn more about what we do, how we do. It's not magic. Um, it's definitely technology and innovation. It's very disruptive, but it makes it fun. Well, all right. I really appreciate you appearing on Data Protection Gumbo, and thank you once again. You enjoy the rest of your week. My pleasure. It was fun. Thanks. You too. Thank you for listening to Data Protection Gumbo. Please follow us on Twitter at DPG Podcast and join our Backup and Recovery Professionals LinkedIn group. Just search backup and recovery professionals on LinkedIn and you will find the group. And until next time, Gumbo listeners, have a fantastic week.